Hey ladies, it's your favorite dating coach here. Do these titles sound familiar at all? Uh, what to do until love finds you. Secrets of an irresistible woman. What are the three biggest mistakes women make in relationships? <laughs> Hey, what's up ladies? So today I'm gonna show you guys 10 ways to make a guy weak for you. So how do you become a high value woman that men will never want to leave? Coming up, a year and a half ago, she said she was fat, broke, and miserable. Now she's happier than ever. Hey everybody, this is Carla at Land Your Man, and I am here with Dr. Jennifer Gonzalez. Is that how I say your last name? Yeah, totally right. Perfect. Okay. Not spelled that way. Or it doesn't look like exactly. it's spelled that way. <laughs> exactly. I always, I see that and I'm like, I think I know how to say it, yep. but I just want to make sure. <laughs> so Dr. Jen recently wrote a book and I read this book and I love it. Also, Dr. Jen at one point was my therapist. <laughs> so she's agreed to come on to the show and talk to us and to you about her book and about what she does. And we're so thrilled to have her because our focus this season is sex. And if anybody knows a thing or two about sex, it's Dr. Jen. <laughs> yeah, especially talking about sex. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I'll take credit for a few other things as well. Awesome. So... You you probably know better how to tell us who you are than yeah. I do. So tell us your yeah, background yeah. and everything. So it's kind of an unusual path, but um, I'm from Pennsylvania, actually, suburbs of Philadelphia. And I got my PhD in sociology with a specialty in sex and gender roles and relationships and communication. And I've been in San Diego for 16 years now and merging my sociological background with the sexual health background. So I started training in sexual health 26 years ago when I was an undergrad wow. um, and got really fascinated about how people make decisions around sex and condom use or not and mm -hmm. alcohol and the gender role dynamics in that. So... Yeah, so I got into that a long time ago, then got my PhD in sociology. My dissertation was on HIV prevention programs targeting adult women around New York State. So I really wow. came into this field through the sexual health realm, mm -hmm. plus getting involved with the vagina monologues a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And so I've been involved with that 10 different times, acting or directing over the years, although it's been quite a while now. The last, I think it's been 10 years since I've been involved with that. And so definitely interested in the activism piece, the sexual health piece, uh, the gender role piece. And then for the past 16 years in San Diego, been getting into mindfulness and compassion and mind, body, spirit approaches and integrating that into sociology and sexual health and women's empowerment. And so what I do now is a, a bunch of things. One, I've had a private practice for a while working with individuals and couples, sometimes doing work similar to a sex therapist, um, but it's broad. It's, you know, I call it relationship and intimacy coaching, mm -hmm. sex coaching, self-esteem coaching, all topics yeah. like that with folks. Um, and then again, grounded in sociology, mindfulness and compassion. And I'm so much about, um, I was listening to something recently and they were talking about, um, like there's been a lot more research recently in psychedelics and mm -hmm. they like such a powerful impact on PTSD and depression and anxiety and really powerful um, therapeutic intervention. And that, you know, uh, in this podcast they were talking about, or it was, I think it was Michael Pollan's book on this. He was saying about, you know, some folks that are giving pushback and some folks in, in psychology and psychiatry are literally like, oh my God, our jobs will be gone. Right. And I was reflecting on that and thinking, and I was like, well, I mean, so, 
in some ways, but if that's if you're shitty at your job, frankly, right? You know, because I'm not everybody's going to go that route for one, and it's well, and also another tool. But part of like some some psycho, not all, but some psychologists, how they do it is they want to see people over years and years, and like I'm like my approach, and maybe this is some of the coaching mentality is like I want to give you skills so that you can run with this, so that you can self coach yourself. Maybe come back for maintenance, or you know, now I have a book out, so folks that have come to see me can read that. Um, But I don't. I don't want you to keep coming, you know, I don't, because right. it almost forms a dependence. Right. And that's not what I'm looking for. So, and there should um, be some sense of healing at some point. Yes. And of, growth and healing. Yeah. And, and I mean, we're all on a lifetime journey of it, but you actually have figured out how to, you have the skills and the foundation now to, to be kind to yourself, to communicate more clearly with others, more skills and vulnerability and authenticity and self-compassion. So, yeah, so that, so the private practice I've had for a while, um, my real passion is public speaking. And so I travel the country uh, speaking to various types of groups and organizations, everything from college campuses, talking about sexual consent and like compassionate, mindful consent, mm-hmm. which I think is very missing in our conversation and um, women's health conferences and um, adult groups, um, CEO groups with their spouses uh, doing events like for Valentine's Day and I do this sex game show and mm-hmm. overcoming blocks to intimacy. And so the public speaking piece and creating safe spaces in public, let alone with folks maybe that work together or know each other or know yeah. each other, you know, and your partners are there or just uh, student audiences normalizing these conversations, reducing shame and embarrassment around them, and then really teaching some practical skills of how do we, how do we do this differently? So yeah. And then, you know, I've done a lot of videos. I have my own podcast. Um, I have my video series in the den with Dr. Jen on YouTube and finally got my first book published. I <laughs> so know. it's so yay. awesome. And what is the name of your podcast? We'll revisit the, that later too. The but. podcast is Sex Talk with Clint and the Doc. Right. And so Clint August is a local radio personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he he comes at me from a pretty dude's perspective. Yeah. Uh, married with boys. And so like he's kind and compassionate and caring, but he's definitely a dude. Right. He's obsessed with like penis size and things uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. And I was like, we do, because as we were talking earlier about the size of your microphone and that it's very girthy. It's very girthy. And we were both like, hell no. And that made me think of Clint because I just recorded with him this afternoon. And I was like, he would be so flattered. He would probably think we all want that. I'm like, right. Okay, yeah. I was thinking, God, please don't say that. (laughs) Don't get us in trouble. Yes. So yeah. So the the coaching, the speaking, the writing, the the videos, the media appearances, and I, I have an online course too for women struggling with low desire okay. in long term relationships. So I'm you know I got lots of things out there. I'm always trying to figure out my path because like you know I work 100 percent for myself. So right. you know, how do yeah. I how do no, I pay my bills? Right. How do I make income? So you're in yeah. a sense kind of like an entrepreneur. Yeah, as well, for sure. Building your own brand always, and everything. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is like really fun. I, one of the cool things because I talk to other I go to sexuality conferences and I talk to other folks that work for a practice or they work at a university or for an organization and they are more limited. Mm-hmm. And the type, like how they can do sex education or what they can say publicly. And that is one lovely thing about what I do. I do not have a steady paycheck. However, I'm I'm not censored at all, right. which is incredible around topics like this. Yeah. Because I'm like, there's no shame or embarrassment about talking about these things. And we need to talk about the nitty gritty and the nuances and the, the yeah, you know, we the, do. The, with the, the, 
the best and the worst of the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and mm-hmm. just all of this complexity around these topics. I, you know, I get to, I get to share all of that from my perspective and not feel limited or censored. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So one of the things that excited me about your book and about having you on the podcast is that my original sort of motivation for starting the podcast was that uh, even when I was coming to see you, I had just started this sort of path of reading all of these books and I was finding and I was just kind of grabbing books from like Audible or whatever that I found. And I was finding that a lot of the people that write these books are not qualified to write the books at all. And a I'm lot just, of them have their heads up their own asses. They really right? do. Like they have their own shit. Yes. And they are very much. Are they regurgitating other people's stuff? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. You know? And it was really to me is kind of why we wanted to start to explore these books a little more dive deeper and say, well, what qualifies you to tell Mm -hmm. me how to go about my dating life, my relationships, my marriage, my whatever. And you're qualified to do that. This is something that you have spent the better part of your life, like working on and trying to figure out. Yeah. And And my personal path within it too, you know, 16 years of practicing mindfulness and Uh personal transformation classes and, you know, making myself go to a sex party because I'm like, I need to check this out and see what this is. Right. Dabbling with polyamory and kink Uh and all of these things. Be like, you know, this makes me better at my job and it's just a it's a you know it's a really interesting personal growth path to yeah, be on as well no i'm sure that's also like doing the podcast we find that we're learning so much you you know you start to get into all these things and read all these books and and start to have all these ideas in your head and yeah it opens up a whole new world yeah, of possibilities yeah and, and then it that's makes awesome. things not so scary that's awesome. You That's know? so cool. Yeah. Like I'm actually, I've been talking to a guy who is poly for a little, about a month and a half now. Mm. And that is something I would have never considered before. It's actually been almost two months that I would have never considered. But I started kind of, you know, we, when we got into the season of sex, we started looking into these alternative or taboo yeah. sort of lifestyles and just starting to ask, well, what is going to make me happy mm-hmm. in a relationship? Do I need monogamy? Do I need commit? I don't know. I, yeah. I want a connection. Yeah. Whether that's just a sexual connection or whether it's emotional and sexual or whether it's just, I don't know. But, you know, I've, I'm opening myself to things that I was not that's open so to awesome. before. It, awesome. it is awesome. Yeah. It is. And there's people still that are going to have opinions or that, you yeah. know, that are going to judge it, but they can do that. This is my path. And that's what we're trying to encourage women to do is be okay with what is your path? What, it, what makes you happy? Yeah. And that's why I like your book, because I feel like that's what you're trying to do is give people a little bit of permission to sort of mm-hmm. explore and yeah. not feel so much shame around, oh, if I like this thing, or right. this is what makes me happy. So Yeah. I mean, I mean, my book is definitely, it's not about polyamory, mm-hmm. but it is, it's about us learning as women to overcome the madness, you know, yeah. of the title and the madness being in, in me coming from a sociological perspective. How I define that is all of these negative messages we've learned growing up as women to be ashamed or embarrassed of sex or um, hiding our desire, or that our pleasure doesn't matter as much, and body image concerns, and pleasing others, 
um, and the religion. And that we're not as capable of pleasure or that we don't right. desire it as much. Right. That's a big exactly. one. Like, I've had guys literally say, you know, well, you don't need it as much as I do. Do you want to make a bet? I, <laughs> yeah, we do need it. And then on the flip so side like of it, it, though, in in rape or sexual assault or coercion situations, well, she really wanted it. Yeah. It's insane. Thank like, you. there's no way to yeah. win. And so, um, and I talk about those double standards in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't actually even, I don't, do I talk about this? Because I, I, there was this few other topics I was going to talk about, like, in the madness chapter. And then I was like, oh, okay, I'm going down way too many paths. This is getting way too long. <laughs> I bet. I but, bet. Like, it was probably like but monog- box, monogamy huh? is one of those. You know, that we're just taught that this is the way it should be. Right. And for some people, they really want it that way. And it and matches wrong their wiring. Yeah. Right. But, but it might not. Mm-hmm. And, right. And so the book is about figuring out. Like giving, first of all, knowing you're not broken, you know, and yeah. knowing that there's nothing wrong with you if you're struggling in any way. You've just inherited all of these messages from and experiences from society, and then teaching applied mindfulness skills to exactly give ourselves permission, yeah, um, to try new things, to give ourselves permission to um, be sexually expressed in new ways. And it's a lot of it's about vulnerability and authenticity Mm -hmm. and that's you know and I teach the skills of how do we sit with the discomfort of that Mm -hmm. and actually instead of running from it or lashing out or numbing um, how do we actually learn to sit with that and actually move through the discomfort because when we do that what's on the other side is is what I call the epitome of empowerment choices that you never even knew were possible Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. and that's amazing like that's living a fulfilled you know, growth mindset life um, and your your intimacy and your sex and your relationships will definitely benefit and blossom. Yeah, absolutely. Something that when I was seeing you that you, a belief that I had held was that if I told men that I had been molested, that it was going to be a deal breaker or a turn off or whatever. And that was something that you really challenged me on, stopped me, made me think about it. And I don't, I don't hold that belief anymore. It's still there. Yeah. It's still there. But I don't believe that that's the truth anymore. So I think that that's why this kind of stuff is important is because we do, we we believe what we're told about it. And most of the messages about sex, in my opinion, are negative. Most messages about sex are negative. I've rarely been in any kind of circumstance where somebody has a really positive message about sex I think that's why I was drawn to the vagina monologues too Mm -hmm. because you join this community where you're actually talking about these things and you're trying to break them down with other people who are also trying to figure it out and understand it better and it's and it's scary because we don't talk about it Mm -hmm. you know so what was the motivation for writing the book? I mean, obviously, you've kind of touched on that. But yeah, to write a book is a huge, you know, it's, oh, my God, don't do it. It's Listen, like a really, real really book, you guys. To, yeah, no, <laughs> it's like a real it's like published and <laughs> yeah. so freaking highly edited. It hurt my brain. Yeah. And endorsements from a lot of colleagues, which was really lovely to get. Yeah. So, OK, so back at the uh, it's actually, yeah, I'll give a little more backstory to this. So this is um, in 2012. Mm-hmm. Like every year I pick different words of the year and intentions and things I want to focus on. One of the things I was focusing on that year was developing my public speaking skills more in the TED style and the TEDx style. Um, and what was so cool by the end of that year, I got invited to do a TEDx talk yeah. and, and got to put it into action. And the topic I ended up doing was female sexual empowerment 
uh, through the lens of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And so looking at what is the state of affairs in our country around female sexuality and then teaching just some basic applied mindfulness skills about how we can actually take our power back this way um, or step into our power in a way we never have before. Um, and then, you know, using some uh, client example to, to walk through and see it in action. And that TEDx talk was so well received from the, the audience, from women, from men to, to folks seeing the video mm -hmm. afterwards that I was like, oh, oh, I've got something here. Like this is really I mean, this is what I'm already doing in my private practice with folks and some public speaking on it. But like I've got I've got something that's resonating with folks here. Yeah. And so then so spring of 2013. I was like, all right, yeah, I'm going to work on this. Yeah, I should have this should have this pretty much wrapped up by the summer <laughs> or by the end of the year. And I'm like, oh, my God. Some paragraphs. Like, yeah, fun. just whip this thing out. Oh, my God. It is so hard to write a book. Yeah. So uh, I ended up, yeah, um, making myself then by the end of 2016 finish a full draft of it, which is not the normal style. And then worked with an editor some, wrote the proposal, shopped it around, took a little while, probably over a year to get a or two, I don't know, to get a publisher for it. And then okay. that path. So yeah, so I just... It's about a four, almost four year process. It, well, I mean, from when I started, it was six and a half years wow. from when the book was published okay. then. Because then once you find a publisher, I was actually ahead of the game, but normally once you find a publisher and sign a contract, it's your 18 months from publication date. I was only like 12 months okay. because I had already written a full draft. And so I gave them a full and also edited draft that, that then the editor there went back and forth with me over a few months. So yeah, it's, it's quite a lengthy process. So what's one thing I'll say I'm really happy about though, is, you know, had I come out with it in 2013 or 2014, 15, even mm -hmm. we hadn't had me too yet. Right. We yeah. hadn't had, we, we didn't have Trump <laughs> yet. Yeah. We didn't realize just how bad things are for women around sex and communication and coercion and sexual assault and how backwards we are in the country in a lot of ways. And frankly, also mindfulness hadn't, you know, hit its stride yet. Right, I think right. it's, I think mindfulness is really quite un misunderstood. I've had literally colleagues of mine say, oh, you know, because I'll say something about, yeah, I was, you know, working with a client or with an audience about really somatically feeling their emotions and where they feel shame inside of them and working with that. And I had a colleague say, oh, I'm so glad, you know, you're doing, you know, body stuff like that instead of just, you know, mindfulness stuff in your mind. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is mindfulness. Mindfulness doesn't mean it's That's in your it mind. Yeah, it's a yeah. terrible name for it. It's embodied awareness in, you know, in levels and ways we've never done before and sitting with discomfort and not running from anything. So, yeah. So anyway, I, I wish the book had come out a few years ago, but the timing's actually really good. And I think, I think also, you know, part of my approach is us all being responsible for our own feelings and yeah. interpretations. I put it in the context of, you know, we, we're we shitty with sex education in our country yeah. and give a lot of conflicting messages, frankly, to boys and girls growing up, um, but also a lot of just so much sex shame and negativity for women. And, and I think because of, I think younger generations have been sort of protected more from feeling bad. Like mm -hmm. we know that some with millennials and, and mm -hmm. Gen Zers that then they're getting into the workplace and they don't have resilience. They can't take 
feedback, negative feedback or any criticism without having a breakdown or um, feeling like a failure. And so they don't have that resiliency. And like literally that's what my book is about, teaching resiliency. Mm -hmm. We learn to be more resilient by sitting with things that are uncomfortable. Right. Our perception of failure, feeling shame, embarrassment, and having the skills to sit with that and move through it, like I was saying before. So I think my book is particularly timely now because of that and with social media and reactivity we're moving we're becoming less vulnerable and less compassionate Mm -hmm. Um, and that's you know totally totally at the core of what my book is about for women to do it with themselves but hopefully for their partners to read it and to understand them as well and for everybody to be doing more of that so yeah and really understanding that when you have trauma or you have Mm -hmm. you know things that are affecting your life and the way that you go about living your life. Yes, somebody caused that and did that to you, but ultimately you're responsible. You're responsible if, if for you want to be happy. I mean, that's exactly. The thing. You can be mad at that person. You can blame that person, but you will stagnate. You'll mm-hmm. be stuck. And in general, most of us, what we most want as humans is is intimacy with other humans and what's at the core of intimacy is letting your armor down down and trust Mm -hmm. and being authentic and and being courageous in that way and creating a safe space for someone else to do that as well with you right that so that armor you put uh, i mean and that is armor you know we put when bad things happen to us we put up emotional armor and that's smart you know that's it that's that's a smart defense mechanism because you want to make sure you're never in that situation again right. to get hurt. However, that same emotional armor gets in the way of what we most want in terms of our ability to connect deeply with other humans in meaningful ways. Yeah. Well, there are a couple of things in the book that like really resonated with me. I mean, honestly, most of the book resonated with me just because, you know, you. I have worked with you. So, okay, the first sort of chapter is sex madness and like one of the first topics that you talk about is when Brene Brown talks about the messages that women shared and got in the way of their authentic expression and don't make people feel uncomfortable, but be honest. <laughs> don't upset anyone or hurt anyone's feelings, but say what's on your mind. Sound informed and educated, but not like a know-it-all. Don't say anything unpopular or controversial, but have the courage to disagree with the crowd. And, you know, it's, those are... And I am quoting Brene Brown there. Right, yeah. yeah. And, and it's, but those are the mixed messages. It's like, we have to control all of that. And I feel like, I think men are now being put to task on how they act in public and how they're perceived. Well, they're getting the same conflicting message. I mean, different versions of, I mean, because if you're still raised to be, be a man and be tough and go for what you want and push for that and don't be a pussy and all of these things. But then if you're in relationships with women, they want softness, they want kindness, they want vulnerability. And I can see how that's confusing to many men growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And to women. Because we just suck at these topics overall. (laughs) Yeah, and how do you balance it all? Yeah. like you're coming at it from, you know, two totally different angles. Yes. Have so many. This is what I was talking about with Nathan Young when he was on about the mixed messages of men are told, you know, go in for the kill. Women are prey, chase, (laughs) pounce. And then women don't respond, don't uh, you know, absolutely do not initiate, do not approach, do not call them back, do not have sex on the first date, do not, you know, and it's like, how do we ever even end up together? Because yeah. <laughs> there's I know. so many conflicting yeah, yeah. messages for men yeah. and women. And I, I, 
Yes. Yes. And, and that I'm causes... not excusing rape culture because no. it exists. No, but it makes when, sense why it exists. When men are taught, like, go chase that woman. Go, yeah. you know, like, literally just, <laughs> I don't know, hold her down and pin go her down. Go what you want. Yeah. And, and, that, and not taught, like, we literally shame empathy yeah. out of little boys. Some folks do. Yeah. Um, folks, some versions of um, masculinity that young boys are taught. And so they... And yet, yeah, we want them to be empathetic and be able to read and understand the other person. And if they're uncomfortable or if they say no, they really mean it. They're not taught any of these skills. So rape culture, coercion culture is what I, I like to call it, uh, makes so much sense when you just look at our basic gender role socialization. And that's not to say that folks that are gender non-binary or identify um, as lesbian or gay or bisexual, that they don't also experience, you know, right, same sex not. relationships for sure. Cause there's lots of factors that are involved with this, but as a sociologist, that's, that's what I speak to because a lot of people don't see it and don't realize right. it. I'm like, no, we've literally cultivated um, this coercion culture and this misunderstanding of each other yeah. and, and men being aggressors and women having to be passive and like, well, why didn't she just say no? And she's like, well, I moved away four times. And right. I said, well, I'm not sure about this uh -huh. a bunch of times. Yeah. So, ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very confusing and yes. I can see where it, you know, it just, it, it gets sometimes to be too much. It's mm. almost like there've been times when I just want to give up. I don't even want to oh. try, but, um, this was something too that I, so when we talk about, you talk about, you have a section about the media mm. and you ask, and, and just so by the way, the book, the way that it's laid out is after each chapter, there's exercises, which I love exercises. I like to kind of write down and revisit. Yeah. And so there's literally space in the book. Yeah. You can <laughs> literally write it. write it in the book, which is awesome <laughs> because know. it's like a workbook in the book. So, but there's this section where you say, uh, I'd like you to reflect on what you remember about sexual imagery and how women's bodies were portrayed when you were growing up mm -hmm. and you say for example was there a billboard in your town showing a woman lying down in a bikini an image used in an attempt to sell beer do you remember a sex scene from a movie with a woman who was easily pleased yes yeah absolutely all of those things i grew up in the south and it was like the marble you know the marble uh. man and then it was um farrah fawcett and that's that was it. I mean, that was what a man was and that's what a woman was. Yeah. And I saw the first like sexy movie that I ever saw. My sister snuck me in to see Risky Business. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was nine. I was like, I was young. I was, my dad took us to see Easy Money. Oh. And my sister said, we, Carla can't see that. You can't take, and then she took me and snuck me in to see Risky Business. <laughs> and I just remember sitting there watching that movie and just the you know like the tingling and feeling like what is happening but that's sort of was my idea of what sex was mm -hmm. how old were you i think i was maybe seven or eight mm. i was young because mm -hmm. this was before we even moved to california i was still in alabama but that was the first movie imagery that i saw on yeah. the screen of like two people having sex yeah and i that's such a good example we can't I mean, we are, we're animals. Humans are animals. So we are, you know, sex is a natural thing. But what's considered sexy to us, what's not, what's what's a turn on, what we think is appropriate or not. We are very much taught many of those things. Yeah. And not that we don't have our own blueprints also. I do think there's genetic pieces that are relevant. But 
yeah, we are all of those little messages we get bit by bit absolutely form what we think is appropriate or not, right. And what's right or not, and then we judge ourselves, yeah, and others by those standards or the kind of men you get because you know it's like at that age Tom Cruise was a sex symbol yeah. and he was a teenager in that movie. I mean, he was very young in that oh, movie, yeah, but. I just remember, like, those are the kinds of guys I was attracted to when I was younger. I, you know, even like in fifth and sixth grade, the guys that I was drawn to was kind of that, that sort of, yeah, you know, kind of good boy, but I'm willing to be bad boy kind of vibe. And that's not now that I've grown and I've, you know, Obviously, I hope I've evolved. That's not the kind of man that I would ever probably even <laughs> enjoy being around. Right, but right, right. I spent years chasing oh, that idea. So interesting. Yeah. You know? Yep. Uh, of that. Of yeah. what that was. I mean, I remember even when Top Gun came out, it was like Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer, like all those guys. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. You know, and those aren't really the men I'm attracted to now at all. I mean, I'm not even... And it doesn't necessarily occur to us that there's another way of doing things because nobody sits and talks to us about all of the the nuances of what it is to feel desire, to be sexual, to right. be trained into a certain gender that may or may not match with how we feel about ourselves, to, to ask for your needs, to even know what your needs are, yeah. to negotiate them. Um, all of the the nuances of what it is to being you know a budding sexual creature mm -hmm. and um, and you know dealing with relationships and intimacy for the first time we don't so we fumble around we figure out the best we can hopefully you don't get too hurt but you, then you carry all of that into adulthood yeah <laughs> so well, but, and I yeah. remember like that period of the early eighties everything was very sexualized mm. especially in film oh, that's interesting like there were a lot of boobies in film I remember yeah. there was like boobies everywhere <laughs> there was like naked like people making out <laughs> it was like Revenge of the Nerds and like oh, all these movies yeah, that have yeah. all these like just Fast Times at Richmond High. Yeah. You know, there was just so much sexuality. And I just felt like that really sort of formed formed the way that I thought right, about it. Right, that version of sexuality. Right, yeah. right. Which wasn't necessarily ever going to be my version yeah. of sexuality. Yeah, yeah, and work for you. So then one of the questions that you asked was, what did you learn about sex and sexuality as a child? Was it positive? You know, that. so at the end of the chapter, you kind of revisit the things. Yeah. Like, and you know, that's what made me think of that stuff. Cause I was like, well, what did, what did, aside from the fact that, you know, I've, I've already talked about this on the show, but I, I was molested when I was a child, but, but aside from that, what formed my right. ideas about, yep. and it very much was the media that I think yeah. formed that. Will you talk about something that you used with me was the triangle of awareness? Yes. Look, will you talk about that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So this is, uh, one of one of the primary tools I use around teaching folks mindfulness because yeah. it's a nice visual. And so it's a triangle. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And I, I adapted this from uh, the mindfulness-based stress reduction course I had taken at uh, UCSD a while ago. And can I share this image on our page so that people know? Yeah, as long as you there? cite it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just yeah, on yeah. Instagram, I'll just share it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, just to give them some reference. Yeah, no, perfect. Yeah. So uh, at the top of the triangle, so the idea of using the triangle, you can use it lots of places, but in particular, since this is like applied mindfulness that I'm teaching folks is, for example, say, uh, you know, your partner says, hey, we haven't had sex in a while mm -hmm. and you have a reaction. The triangle is really powerful to use in that moment. Yes. Or if 
you're with a, a new partner and they're doing something that you don't really like sexually or don't want to do and you don't say anything. That's So maybe not in the moment, but maybe afterwards then really helpful to use the triangle to be like, okay, so anytime that instead of you being present and aware and responsible in your communication, that you are reactive Mm-hmm. And meaning that you lash out at someone else or you shut down and retreat emotionally or you just turn around and distract yourself or grab your phone and scroll through Instagram or, you know, you smoke pot, you know, right. something to numb yourself. So um, the triangle is about teaching us how do we actually figure out why did we have a reaction in that moment? Yeah. And so the top of the triangle is what were your thoughts? What was your interpretation? What meaning did it have to you? Maybe it reminds you of something from childhood you know, so in the example I gave of, uh, say, your partner said, hey, we haven't had sex in a few months, uh, kind of miss it. And you're the lower desire person in that partnership um, and you lash out at them in that moment. Maybe your thought was, I've been really busy, you know, uh-huh. like how rude of you. But then super quickly, you go to the emotions part of the triangle. And that's like in your feeling shame or embarrassment or fear that your partner's going to leave you. Right. And then the other part of the triangle is the bodily sensations. And I think this is so powerful because like shame, we feel like really in our in our chest and up to our necks and face embarrassment we can feel in those same areas uh, fear that a partner is going to leave us can be like a dropping feeling in your belly or almost like nausea these things feel really really bad yeah so whenever we were younger and we felt them for the first time we often create a defensive pattern as to never feel them again yeah and so that's probably what got triggered in that moment and so using the triangle if you can catch yourself in the moment or after the fact reflecting and journaling on it then you can get clear on like what what did happen? And maybe it starts with like, my heart started pounding and I felt sick to my stomach. So just start writing there. And then you can, there's like lists of emotions. I think I list some in the book, but also you can like just Google that list of emotions and get really clear on nuance to what the emotions were. And like, what did it all mean to you? What yeah. were your thoughts around it? And all the, you know, the triangle you can bounce around, you can hit all, all corners of it in like half a second. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> because that's, and then you're triggered. And so mindfulness in using something like the triangle is creating space where you didn't have space before. Mm-hmm. And even if it's just a few seconds that you then get to make a different choice, you get to make a choice Yeah. because before it was just an automatic pattern. And now you get to pause and reflect and think, oh, how can I do something different here Right. Uh, that is more responsible? Right. And sometimes that's even like, all right, I got totally triggered here. I don't think you intended to do that. I'm going to step away for a few minutes and do some writing. I'll be back to talk about this. Yeah. And I think too, like for me, it was the first few times I did it. It's something that all the books talk about uh, pretty much, except for the really shitty books. But Mm -hmm. most of the books talk about you have to be responsible for your own emotions. You can't, you know, if you really want to be in a relationship, you want to be with another person, you can't be reactive to everything that they say and do and expect for them to continue to sort of be vulnerable and trusting and, right. you know, and I feel like this is such a great exercise to make you stop and, and take responsibility that affected me this way because of this, this, and this, that has really nothing to do with the other person. So, I mean, it's Typically. your story. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. it's about taking full ownership of it right now, perhaps I mean, sometimes maybe your partner really did talk to you in a demeaning way. Yeah. You know, if nine no. out of 10, if you had 10 people in the room with you, nine out of 10 would be like, yeah, buddy, that was pretty condescending yeah, was pretty and shitty. demeaning. Yeah. Yet it still hooked you. 
and and only you are because someone else might be like yeah he was condescending but like i know that's his stuff i don't care it doesn't right, bother me right. you know so the fact that it bothered you and hooked you means it's attached to your story and your interpretation and and where you feel that in your body yeah so it doesn't mean that the other person is um, right, you're not like letting them off the hook per se. Right, especially if you saying, have an abusive partner. Absolutely, yeah, no, we, no. We want you to be like, but you could still be calm and be like, yeah. So that's I. I'm not okay with you treating me that way. Like I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave this relationship. Although, right, if the person's abusive, then you need to have a whole plan in right. place, and that's a whole other thing. But this isn't, this isn't meant to. You know, I talk a lot about compassion, and so this is in a way you're you're being compassionate to others by not being reactive. However, that doesn't mean that you're not compassionate to yourself also. Right. It is always a balance between those. So because I've seen folks take on coaching and other personal growth stuff and they then think, oh, I'm working on my stuff. Oh, this person triggered me. Okay, I have to work on my stuff. I go, yeah, but that person really might be an asshole and really toxic and you don't want them in your life. Right, exactly. So it's great to look at yourself and reflect, but geez, don't keep opening the door to people that are actually really abusive. Yeah, totally. And, you know, if you have a history of trauma, your lens for seeing what's abusive or not may be a little distorted. Absolutely. And so practicing mindfulness can help you get clear on, be like, oh God, my partner really didn't mean that or do that. Like that really was my thing. Mm -hmm. Because when you've experienced trauma, your alarm bells go off more quickly as they should right. to protect you. But mindfulness can help you slowly figure out authentically for yourself how to disarm um, those anxiety responses right. and, and those how walls much of that it go is up yours right to bear and yep. how much of it because I'm not saying like you can't uh, ever blame someone else but I think for me it was I spent uh, many years sort of uh, almost playing the victim role you mm -hmm. know being in V-Day sort of talked me out of that yeah in a lot of ways you know you you become um, survivor as opposed to victim mm -hmm. but there's still healing that needs to be done and there's still responsibility that other people carry for your abuse. But you typically those people, if they're already p abusing you, they're not going to take the time to no they're not gonna do the um triangle no no <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not, not working on their personal growth yeah. and being responsible for their reactivity right yeah right. and so if it's you're, just a great tool yeah. to just own your stuff and figure out you know what what is mine and what is theirs yeah. and i can fix this part i can work on this part yeah. that's what i can do yeah and it's uh, a journey you know absolutely. it's not just like flip a switch because that's i always tell people i was like you know give your partner's working really hard on this pattern. Mm -hmm. Give them space. Be kind to them. Help facilitate this. You know, make this easier on them. Because this is, personal growth is hard work. Oh, yeah, it is. It <laughs> is. Speaking of that, since we're, like, really focused on sex this season, the um, so in Sex, Passion, and Desire. So chapter four, yeah. You talk about stating your sexual needs. How do I ask my partner to do something different sexually without hurting their feelings or making them feel overwhelmed? Now, I have sort of been not not purposely going out and ha like having more sex, but I've been having more sex. And I've found that, uh, you know, obviously when you're with someone for longer, it's easier to ask for certain things or to express. Ideally, until you've been, if you've gotten to the other side. Right, right, right. Yeah, then right. people are so afraid to try something new with their partner because they know what they're going to judge and what they like exactly. or don't. And you've got your patterns and resentment. So, exactly. Yeah, when you're in that sweet spot in a relationship. But when you're kind of just, you're just starting out with somebody, I'm just curious what your advice would be 
if say you're just having sex for the first handful of times and I have found that those first sexual experiences with men, they often do not always know how oh, to please right. oh, me. Yep. I hear you, sister. <laughs> but I oh. feel like I've done homework and I've done re- about what I think would please them. And there seems to be a level of satisfaction mm-hmm. that is imbalanced yes. in these encounters. I'm just curious. Yeah. And so the best I can, because it's so funny, because my, my specialty area is folks in relationships. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Dating is a <laughs> crapshoot. Good God. You're you like, know? I'm not even touching that. I was like, because, right, you could choose to be really vulnerable <laughs> and authentic. But mm-hmm. the people, the dude you're doing it with turns out to be an asshole and judges and shames you for it. So, yeah. although I will say my, you know, the practicing mindfulness means we get more attuned with our intuition, knowing of ourselves and our reading of other people. Yeah. Um, we just, um, yeah. So we know who's safe to be vulnerable with or not. And yeah. so, cause ideally in dating, I recommend folks do the same thing as in relationships. You be vulnerable, authentic, mindful, and compassionate to others and to yourself and the balance of those four. So wait, what was your question again? So how, when you're just kind of starting oh, out, how do you communicate? Yeah. So the way I, so I think, I think I get an out because folks know my field right away. Right, right. And so right away I was like, I just talk about sex and it's normal. Uh-huh. Although other folks can do that too, yeah, if they yeah. practice doing it. I think I just know like any men I go out with, they, they're not surprised by that. <laughs> Plus I've had years of, you know, 25 years of talking in front of groups about sex, like very little, every once in a while I blush, but not yeah, much. Yeah. <laughs> So what I do is I don't, I like to move more slowly sexually mm-hmm. because I want to us to be able to have these conversations ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I Any man left to his own devices doing what he thinks women want mm-hmm. to, and what pleases them um, it isn't going to work for me, isn't going to be what I want. So I have these conversations ahead of time okay. before I move before into you even a sexual encounter. Yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, we, maybe we've made out and there's been some groping or something right, like right, that. Right. Um, but yeah, before I'm in a situation where I think that it, we may get more, more sexual with each other and it may advance. Um, ah, I have these conversations and I okay. say, I mean, cer- it's certainly easier, you know, over a glass or three of wine right. <laughs> to right. be able to do it. But I do say, I say, Hey, you know, it's really, um, I-, I know maybe it's not that normal to talk about these things ahead of time, but it's actually really important to me because I'm, I'm in this because I want pleasure and enjoyment, obviously. And mm-hmm. likewise, and I think it's important to talk about these things and I'm kind of wired differently than other women of what I really enjoy. Yeah. And so I found, I mean, now I'm, I don't, I don't go on a lot of dates and I don't mm-hmm. hook up a lot. I'm pretty, um, pretty choosy at this point because I need to find men that are open-minded to this and comfortable with this and they right. can think outside the box and they don't have their masculinity all tied up in that they're already really good I at these things and already that know what to really do. it would be really intimidating for a man to date a sex... <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> a sexologist. I can... It's I can a, imagine. It's a very, well, it's funny. There's two sides. There's one side that the men are like, oh, yeah, that means you're just like, you must give the best blowjobs and you like to hang from chandeliers right. and like that I'm like down to fuck, you know, yeah. DTF, yeah. And, which is not me. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the other side of the men that are so... Like they're confident in themselves. They know themselves. They have their shit together. They're good communicators. Right. Um you know, and they, they want to learn and grow right. with me. They want they're, to be on yeah. that level. Yeah. There's also then a group that that thinks they're confident or, you know, or there is confident and 
they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, but I can weed through that pretty quickly. Yeah. So I want the dudes that are like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is your specialty. Like how cool that you're doing this for the world. Like what a gift. And I want to support you and help you grow and do what you do best. Like that's, but I, those are tough to come by. <laughs> well, right. That's like uh, a supportive partner that gets to that point. Right. I think. And, right. Um, so, yeah. So I was just curious because for me, I've always been sort of, not, I wouldn't say afraid, but just hesitant to really state my needs in bed. Unless yeah. I I had one partner for seven years that, you know, we were long distance, but we spent a lot of time together. And he's probably the only man that I've ever really been able to just mm. tell exactly. Yeah. Like, I don't like that. I like yeah. that a lot. Let's yeah. do that again. I don't want to ever do that again. Don't you know? ever stop doing yeah, that. Exactly. Right now. Exactly. We're gonna do that until we die. <laughs> we're not we're never doing that one again. You know, whatever. But it, yeah, those it's hard. It's hard to find those men, but um they're out there. I know that they're for out sure. There. For sure. I would also say for anybody that's struggling with this sitting and doing some journaling on it, like mm-hmm. what do I like? And like literally finding the words and having to write them notice what discomfort comes up in you. So the process of using the triangle and get, move towards that, you know, don't shy away from, because that's what keeps us quiet in the moment. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. We're afraid of saying the wrong thing. Uh, We think it's inappropriate. We don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't want to be judged and shamed for it. We don't want to break the moment. All of those things feel uncomfortable and awkward inside of us. And the more comfort you get with that discomfort, the more you can authentically find your voice in sexual situations. And so practice that. Journal on it, feel it, and then find a girlfriend or a good Mm -hmm. friend that you can practice with. Literally read it out loud because you're going to feel so awkward doing this and so vulnerable. That's what you need to get comfortable with. And do it with yeah. a friend that's not going to judge you. And you could, you're could you probably going to have a really interesting conversation about totally. it as well. And I have found that when I have been open and honest with men, most men are open to it because yeah. most men, they don't get to talk about sex. They try to like get sex and then they get sex and then that's really it. And so when you actually want to have a conversation about it. I think it's another it's another part of the arousal process. It's another well, it's part very of like, intimate because it very is intimate. vulnerable, yeah. you know, and you're letting your armor down. Yeah, I've also most of the men I've talked to, they're like, oh, my God, I'm so happy. Like, I'm doing this because I want you to have pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm, if I know how to do that and then I can tell you're really pleased, that's fantastic. And yeah. they feel like very, you know, virile and like powerful. Right. And they're like, God, you were really enjoying this. And I was like, yeah, because you're. <laughs> Fucking doing a fantastic job. Right, this you is amazing. But well, they, how do they know how to do that if we don't if we don't tell them right. and, and responsibly um, articulate that or explore with them to learn together right. what it looks like? And also, like to talking about all the different ways that people have pleasure and we're not all the same oh we don't gosh, all like no. the same things we don't no. all want the same things nope not at all so there has to be some willingness to have discussions and to explore to even figure that out and i feel like couples do themselves a disservice when they just get into like a routine of we're gonna do it this way or this way or even single people that mm-hmm. you know it you you just kind of get into like a pattern of how you go about dating or how you go about it's like change it up yeah you don't you know like with me i did i never thought i would consider somebody who already had a partner but i actually enjoy i mean i'm actually enjoying it That's because awesome. it's like he 
is very attentive to me, mm-hmm. but there's parameters. And he's like, I'm with my girlfriend on this, this and this day. And so, you know, I, I won't be rude to her. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's his primary. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I actually, it's, and I, I just, I don't know. I wish more men knew that it's like, if you would communicate and, you know, in honesty about yeah. where you're at, yeah. most some women are going to say, fuck off. It's not what I want. Yeah. Or they're going to say, are you crazy? Whatever. But there are women out there that are like, oh, well, thank you for being honest. And I'm not really ready for a yeah. full-time committed relationship either. So great. Let's try this out. Yeah. yeah. You know? And I mean, I don't know if it's for me long-term. I don't know. But yeah. I just know it's something that I never considered. And I'm... You're exploring I'm it. enjoying That's myself. so awesome. Good for you. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so in also sex, passion, desire, although you, you also talk about come as you are, which is one of the books yeah. that I'm going to be reading. Oh, soon. fantastic. Well, yeah, yeah. I think I can see it over on my shelf yeah, right now. That's, yes. <laughs> that's coming up. Um, but you talk about blocks to desire. Yeah. It's one of my specialty areas. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I don't know, it happens so much for people where, when they don't talk about what they want and what they need. And or maybe they don't you just know, shut frankly. Down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we have that piece also. So, yeah. but yeah, you definitely shut down for all sorts of reasons. Any of them in particular in that chapter that um, stood out to you? Because I talk about lots of different right, right, to right. desire. So let's see. Definitely not knowing your own pleasure. Mm. Because I think a lot of times we just defer. Um, but for me, like obviously fertility concerns because I had a hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. And so, and I also had a tipped uterus, which I did not know for several years. That so sex was pain. It yep. was so painful for me. Yeah. And I didn't, I thought something was wrong with me. Mm. And not until I went, I went and had an ultrasound and the doctor that did, that did my hysterectomy, he said, well, you know, you have a tipped uterus. So blah. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. I'm like, <laughs> What do you yeah. mean? Because I would always tell people, I have this joke with a friend of mine. I'd be like, I have a very shallow vagina. Ah, oh, but right. But you're like, oh, I do. <laughs> but that was like in my mind, like, wow, it's it's really yeah. not a lot of space down there to. Um, <laughs> well, it, it also expands, you know, quite yeah. especially when you're aroused. It ex- I mean, because the length of the v- vagina in general is only like three to four inches. Right. Like, what not, you can actually feel. They expand when you're turned on and they balloon. And yeah. Right. So, um, so when I when he told me yeah. this, it was like, what? Because yeah. in my mind, when I was deciding whether or not to get the hysterectomy, because it was technically an option, even though I had fibroids and I was in so much mm. pain, I couldn't barely stand it. Oh. But I, when I was trying to decide... I thought that the hysterectomy would sort of wipe out my sexual desire mm. and that it would take it away, you know, that I would have ovaries left. Yeah. Yeah. I okay. get my ovaries, but not, no, not at all. Awesome. Like in fact, quite yeah. the opposite awesome. because now that that uterus is out of there. You don't have pain. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like the yeah. whole new ball game. Yeah. Did it's they like, the, wow. Can I ask a detailed question? Yeah, yeah. Did, was the cervix left intact? So I did a partial. Okay. So I have my cervix and okay. my ovaries. Um, he took, so I had had a cyst years ago, so I had lost one of my fallopian tubes. So he took the other fallopian tube and my uterus. Okay. But okay. And I just to. ask because those are the things that I, well, so all, well, all of that is a big can, deal. Yes. The cervix orgasm. is yes. And for mm-hmm. your experience of orgasm, the ovaries can be because of hormones. Right. Um, I have heard some folks that have had hysterectomies that if they feel like their orgasms are more 
full body orgasms or maybe the g-spot orgasms or something like that it does feel different because they mm -hmm. don't have that in that way but generally it's the the ovaries and the cervix i've heard is most important so that's yeah good but that's good it actually was improved well and it's like i'll never know because i don't i didn't know what it was like particularly vaginally to really ever really enjoy an orgasm mm. because of the taste. yes but you know with having the hysterectomy and dealing with initially having sex after and, and it immediately being easier wow. than it was before. Wow. And, but I will say this, the orgasms are quicker mm. and they don't last as long. Interesting. Okay. They're still great. Awesome. But, okay. and I still can, you know, have a lot of pleasure, but I used to be able to like when I would masturbate or, play or whatever i would be able to drag those babies out like, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. it's not it, they yeah. really go kind of fast gotcha. now they're a little okay. much quicker and yeah. also they happen quicker which was weird yeah that's super it was really weird like the huh. first time that i like after the surgery i was like oh Oh. Okay, well, that's done. <laughs> we got there already, huh? Uh, but I mean, what you're speaking to, it shows how much we don't know about female pleasure. Right. Um, and how, what a crime it is to so many women over so many years that they were never told that their sexual functioning may change, you know, from right. a hysterectomy. Right. Where it was just done like, oh, okay, we'll just take this out. That's it. Like, it's... We don't know. And that could vary by woman, too. So I want to just mention the tip uterus, if any of the listeners, mm -hmm. you know, experience mm -hmm. that. Um, and just that it can be, right, sex, all sex could be painful, like sexual intercourse or right. any penetration can be. It may be certain positions that are more painful. Yeah. It also, for anybody, can vary by the time of the month also. Uh -huh. But yeah, it, particularly if you have a tipped uterus, um, certain positions, certain times of the month and stuff like that are just going to be definitely more painful. Yeah. So, and it's just knowing you can, you know... You got to think outside the box some, but no, you're not crazy that like, yeah. why is this hurt? And two weeks later, it doesn't hurt. Well, and the um, fact that I was like, I think 43 when I found out that I had a tip. I mean, that's insane. Well, it's what's not interesting one... is to me, because I do as well, but it was an early gynecologist that uh -huh. told me that. Yeah. So then when sometimes in certain sexual positions, I would experience pain. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, Oh, that's you. That's yeah. you. That's you. Tip to your left there, buddy. Toes. Yeah. Hey, buddy. Shit got hurt in there. So when it's like a, it's like a dull ache, and it could be a sharp pain, and they could leave some pain afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. It so, was so um, painful for me. Like uh, all that's because cool. I have a friend who has a tip dude, and she's like, "Oh, I, I'm okay if I'm on top. It's fine if I'm on top." And I was like, "Okay, well, good for you." Yes, <laughs> but no. Again, we are all built and wired differently. Like, sorry. Yeah. Not well, and one on of the top. the shitty things too, if you start equating sex to pain, mm -hmm. then you may start tensing up before, and then you're even more likely to have pain. Right, so right. yeah, it becomes like a, a loop. Yeah. The other block to desire, you know, is the sexual abuse. I mean, that's, I mean, I think that if when we know that at least one in three women are going to be a victim of sexual abuse in their lifetime. Yeah. And I think one in five men or one in eight men, I'm not, yeah, I think those good. numbers change. But, yes. Well, it depends um, on who's doing the research. That's yeah. a lot of blocks to sexual yeah, <laughs> desire. I mean, that's, yeah. that's well, and it depends on what folks do. Cause sometimes folks like, you know, who knows? We never know how we're going to respond to trauma. Uh, you can't predict that. And so some folks become more sexual. Yeah. And uh, maybe they think that's their only worth that they offer to others. Mm -hmm. Or it's the only version of love that they know, even though it was, you know, distorted love. 
as uh, when they were younger. So uh, I'm just knowing like this, your, and I think I mentioned this, like, you know, experiences of sexual abuse and coercion and sexual assault, they change you. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're broken. Right, though. right. You know, it just changes you and it changes you because someone else doing something shitty, whether they knew it or not, impacted you and your nervous system and your experience and it made you feel unsafe or it um, your voice wasn't there or didn't matter. And all of that impacts us. It can't not. Right. Um, but everything as we move through life impacts us. You know, yeah. we can't not. But trauma in particular <clears throat> um, around sex and, and expression and intimacy, intimacy um, can be a big one. So just own it and not own it in a way that you're stuck in victim or that you're broken or there's anything wrong with you. This was just happened to be part of your life path, unfortunately. Right. And so I think that acceptance without the shame or the guilt is a is is a massive foundation of them being able to move forward and be like, okay, this is this is the cards I've been dealt right now. What do I want? How am I? You know, what's getting in the way of that? What's blocking me? And how can I slowly start working towards that in right. my own personal growth? Right. So. Because I think most people, like myself, you know, you're never gonna have like justice. You're never. There's a lot of women right. who just. It happens. You can't undo it. it. That's the thing. Right. You can't undo it. And maybe, even if even if you do have justice, right, you can't undo it. It's no, done. it's still happened. And that's yeah. the thing, regardless of, right, if the person goes to jail or or if they apologize genuinely and mm-hmm. profoundly and have changed their path in life, which is like the best outcome you right. could ask for. Even so, it still happened to you. Right. It's still, it still became part of your wiring and your past and your experience. So... What, you know, like you said earlier, like how do you want to be responsible for this in that is it, is it getting in the way? And, it, and likely at some point it's going to get in the way right. of of what you most want and your happiness and your fulfillment. Yeah. Um, and for that reason, then being able to take responsibility in new ways and own it and sit with it in new ways and and go through these scary you know, the, the, the scary process of right. this and, and doing it with folks that you trust. Um, and boy, you know anybody that I know that goes through stuff like that, they never get through the other side a year later or five years later and say, God, I wish I hadn't done that. They're always like, oh man, I wish I had done that sooner. Yeah. Like it was hard. It tore me apart, but oh my God, look at who I am now. Yeah. And this amazing journey and path that I'm on. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's it is that you have to still, even though you, you were made to feel powerless, you have to find your power. Yeah. You have to get back to that. Yeah. The giving yourself permission. (laughs) Do you give yourself permission to be sexy, permission to be sexual, permission to follow your passion, permission to be sexual on your own terms, permission to say, yeah, just all of the permission stuff is just, I think, such a concept for so many women because I've found that men have no problem in the bedroom taking their pleasure the way that they want it. I mean, they're, I mean, they're some do. Good. I mean, certainly there's some, some men. do. Yeah. There's some maybe, that they, and they've been abused or maybe they're just more shy or they were, they were raised in a family where they were taught that like asking for anything is bad, you know, yeah, so yeah. certainly, but in general, in terms of gender role socialization, yes, men are often trained to, to know and believe that they are entitled to their sexual pleasure. Right. Exactly. And how they want it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just feel like, we're not because if you if you say I want to feel sexy, that means automatically you want to feel sexy for a man, right? That's and not, in what looks sexy and is 
sexy performance, what I call performing porn star yes. for them. Yes. yes. And I have found that I like putting on makeup and fixing my hair and looking pretty. And I just, I like the way that I feel. And it doesn't mean I'm going to go out and get a ton of attention or I'm going to get any kind, any kind of attention necessarily. But I like the way it makes me feel and not in relation to how men are making me feel. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that sometimes, I don't think that all that there's men any, understand that. Yeah, that there's a separation. There's oh, no correlation. Oh, no. And this is one of the things I might, I think I mentioned this in my book, that especially young men, like there is no okay. understanding that a, a woman is dressed you know, quote unquote, sexy in some mainstream or traditional way or has herself done up or is wearing heels and then is out at a club or out at a bar or something on a Friday night. They really equate that like she looks sexy. Therefore, she wants sex. Yeah, like literally sexual intercourse. And then somehow that gets carried through. If I'm attracted to her and want her and she talks to me, then that she wants sexual intercourse with me. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, that, that is, is for a, me. a whole lot of freaking assumptions. Yeah. Like, that is insane, the arrogance. Yeah. By a, but if we don't teach our boys otherwise, they don't know. Right. Because they, they're out looking for sex. And if she's dressed that way, then she must be out looking for sex also. Right. That is no, right. No. So that difference of that, we may dress sexy or go out with our girlfriends or put makeup on or try a new hairdo or something because I mean, we are, we do grow up learning as girls that that is how we get attention. And right. And that is like looking pretty is how you get value and your appearance and all. And so that, you know, that has its own, (laughs) negative underbelly that can be very undermining to us. Right. But at least in the topic we're talking about that, yeah, we can just do that sometimes just to feel really good and confident um, for ourselves. And that it does not at all equate to wanting to have sex with anybody. And you might do all of those things because you want to go out and have sex and that's fine. Like that's not an issue, but it's like, you still have the choice of whether you have sex or not. Right. And not necessarily with you. It's not, for all of you, for the one I pick, and I know, all, and same goes with men. It's like they sort of have their eye on one person. So do I, and I feel like you walk into a club or you walk into that kind of setting, and you're automatically meet, uh, you know, or something. <laughs> and it's just, it's just an interesting dynamic because it's there's just this such a disconnect between women's autonomy and and men's autonomy. I've never in a million years walked into a nightclub and been like oh my god that guy looks so good in those jeans and i'm gonna fuck him and he must have worn that because of me you know like i just it's never even crossed my mind i know but you know it's more like you're kind of surveying the crowd to see like who would i be interested in who would i even want to touch me in this place like who would i you know right exactly so yeah there's a difference and this is what you know when we talk about in me too or in feminism entitlement Mm -hmm. um and i mean and that's become i you know i i do know some poor older white men who are fantastic men and that they get unfairly you know yeah you know accused of being entitled but there is this, well, what's the joke? Um, carry yourself with the entitlement and confidence of a mediocre middle-aged <laughs> white man. Like that's, yeah. and I'm like, oh, it's a terrible joke, but it's so true. It is. So there is that sense of entitlement to women's bodies, especially if, if, if women are performing in their body, which is what we do when we yeah. dress up, we are doing a performance of sorts. Yeah. Um, if they are performing in a way that you perceive as sexy, then that you have an entitlement mm-hmm. to that body. Um, yeah. And that is such a 
whoa, how did we get to that point in our society? That's yeah. so, but that is a lack of, of training of our boys well, and right. around masculinity. So. And, you know, in a lot of the books too, it's like they talk about the caveman, you know, that that's still like wired into the man's brain. Yeah. Which I find interesting because that may well be true, but it's not wired into my brain to be prey. I don't, you know, it's like, I don't appreciate feeling like a piece of meat on a stick when I walk down the street or when I see a man like leering at my body parts or whatever. So I feel like, well, maybe be responsible for your own evolution then, because I, it's not my responsibility to fulfill a genetic thing from like millions of years ago. That's not what we're here to do now. Right. And I don't feel like people say, well, women are just designed to, you know, give their bodies to men. And that's what it is. It's no, that's <laughs> right. So well, that's, not because because we have evolved past, you know, other animals in terms of our consciousness, our empathy, our our awareness of, of you know, wanting to add good to the world right. um our self-realization all of these these aspects of this common humanity um and being able to stand in the shoes of others and wanting them to to be happy and to not hurt others in that way and not just be instinctual yeah. with all of this yeah exactly so, mindfulness <laughs> yeah yes exactly <laughs> uh the last thing in the book that i just wanted to touch on is uh v-day because that's something that we share oh yeah i share a story from being <laughs> yeah. on stage for the vagina monologues yeah yeah and just <laughs> because i know you've been doing it for years and i've been doing it for years this will be my 19th year i think oh my gosh it. that's amazing yeah oh that's awesome it's just such it's been such a great like education and then i've also been very blessed because we do the mending monologues as well so I have such a I think rare opportunity that a lot of women don't have of working with these men who come and they want to be vulnerable and they want to tell their stories too yeah which has been a huge education for me because as much as we talk about oh men do this and men do that I don't believe that all men do that I believe that all men have been put in a position to feel a certain way act a certain way think a certain way and I just am respecting the men who are stepping out of that mold Mm -hmm. and who are questioning their own um, sort of societal like pressure to be a certain way. And they're questioning their, their male counterparts. Yeah. Takes a lot of courage to do that. It does. For sure. I mean, because part of masculinity, the mainstream masculinity is to be sure of yourself (laughs) and to be confident and to not let your walls down and not be vulnerable. So yeah, I I have a ton of respect for men that do that. So Vagina Monologues is a show and then V-Day is the movement mm-hmm. where which is that when when we do the show then we donate, you know, a portion of the proceeds or most typically the all. majority. Yeah. Usually it's just enough to cover like your overhead but that you hold on to and pay the venue or whatever and then the rest goes to the charities that are working in the community that they serve to to address these issues. Mm-hmm. Domestic violence, sexual assault sexual prevention. Abuse. Yeah. 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 And so that was definitely a turning point for me and the way that I saw my own sexuality and mm-hmm. other people's sexuality. And, and, and I think it is cr- sort of like a little uh, sorority in some ways. You know, it's <laughs> like when you meet somebody that's done V-Day, it's oh. like, oh, you've done it. You know, you know what? And my, <laughs> you're a uh, warrior. <laughs> we talked about the publishing process in the beginning. The editor, the main editor that I worked with, that was fantastic. When we had our first calls together, mm-hmm. somehow that came up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember. I, maybe I mentioned it in my book proposal. Mm-hmm. And she goes, I did the vagina monologues also in college. And like, yeah, it's such a bond. It is. And I was like, oh, 
all right, I know she gets me and she gets what I'm about. And she was a fantastic Hannah, fantastic editor. Like, mm -hmm. I honestly, she felt like a gift. So, yeah, it is. It is like a, yeah, I hadn't thought of it as a sorority, a but it yeah. really is. Yeah, for yeah, sure. It's a neat bond. <laughs> so just uh, I think like two more questions that I have. So who are your sort of mentors? And I hate the word guru, but but I think it it's what, like, you know, we read these books and we seek out all this information and there's so many of these people yes. out there you know, giving this information. Yeah. And there's so few of them that I think should be. Yeah. 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 Um, who, who, who are your go-tos? Yeah. So, I mean, I, outside of the sexuality field, Brene Brown's work. And mm -hmm. so I, you know, I quote her multiple times in my book, her book, her work on vulnerability and shame. And, um, you know, I was already doing this work in the sexuality realm when, when I started finding her books, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, I was like, oh my God, she has the research to back all of this up. Yeah. How amazing. And so <laughs> I love her stuff and her Ted talks. Um, it's just, yeah, it's inspiring and, and, and I get to pull it for my stuff and my work. Um, in my field, um, she's since passed away, but Gina Ogden, mm -hmm. um, she was a sex therapist, brought a very spiritual realm. She was trained as a shaman. So very much holistic mind, body, spirit. I, again, I was already on my path doing that and came across her stuff. And then she became a colleague of mine and a friend and a mentor. And, um, she passed away a little over a year ago. Sorry to hear that. She contributed a lot to our field. Um, in terms of mentor, Patty Britton also. So she started the sex coaching movement. Okay. Um, and she's out of Los Angeles and she has a book called The Art of Sex Coaching. And she's a dear friend of mine and mentor. Okay. Um, otherwise, in terms of like self-help books, at Come As You Are, and you said you're mm -hmm. going to review that. That mm -hmm. is a fantastic book around female sexuality. I'm trying to think. I mean, that one stands out to me because I think that's, a, you know, Besides my book, um, the <laughs> course, uh, best book on female sexuality in, in a very long time. Research driven, very down to earth. Yeah, I reference her in my book. So um, yeah, those are the folks immediately. I mean, and then Eve Ensler of the Vagina Monologues in V-Day yeah. and her just living her story and literally helping women around the world around these topics. And that's like amazing. Yeah. She, I so much admiration for her um, as an activist and a, a global women's activist. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. She's a huge, huge um, influence on me. I've had the absolute honor to meet her three times now. And the, the second time that I met her, we went to a conference in LA and it was just V-Day organizers mm. from Southern California. Oh, nice. So it was a room of about 30 people and Eve Ensler and... Uh, That's amazing. She was there for something like this. It was amazing. <laughs> and Shale, who was like, was oh, her yeah, yeah. right hand right. Man for years. And, you know, I mean, we walked in the room and she started talking and everybody started crying. I mean, it was like five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> And, and we were going around the circle and we we're saying why we were there and we we're crying and people kept going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she goes, click. She's like, can we stop apologizing? apologizing. Yeah. She's like, you should be crying. Yeah. <laughs> there's plenty to cry about. And yes. if there's anywhere that you can cry, it's here. She's like, yeah. stop apologizing for feeling and for crying. That's so awesome. that was very impactful. And then we were in the bath. I was in the bathroom, like in the stall next to Eve Ensler. <laughs> We come out of the, and we're standing there. And, I, you know, at that point, I had been doing it for about 10 years, I think. <clears throat> I'm just standing there, just like, st I was just staring at her, like, what, 
like, what do I fucking say to Evans? <laughs> right. Like, what do I do? Yeah. And she just hugged me. Oh. She just grabbed me and hugged me, and I felt like I was going to collapse oh. in on myself. But it was just, you know, she's just, I think she's such a huge inspiration to so many women. And I think, you know, she's had her fair share of criticism, and mm -hmm. she's gone through some stuff, but... She just keeps walking tall yeah. and doing this. No, stuff. I mean she her her all her choices and even calling it the vagina model, you know, yeah. all of it. And I shaved my vagina, like all of that has gotten so much pushback and all. But she's, I mean, her good as far outweighs any bad. Yeah. Like, geez, you know, this woman has walked the talk. Yeah. Um, and really sacrificed herself to make a difference she in has. the world. It's she really, really beautiful. And then, you know, criticism too of like, oh, well, you know, she's a white cisgendered woman. Oh. Well, she's not. She's a lesbian. But a lot of people assume that yeah. she's. But the show is, to me, one of the most well-rounded shows well, that represents. Well, it's evolve and bringing in new right. monologues and that she, folks can do. I feel do. like she's been way more conscious of that than any other. I said, Oh, well, I think she was ahead of the curve. What other show yeah. represents yes. so much diversity right. in, in amongst right. women? Um, Around a taboo-sensitive topic. Yeah. Oh, I know. Here's the thing. There's no way to get it perf perfect. Right. Because there's frankly, always she, the, be the vagina monologues would have to be 10 hours long, you know? And then there'd exactly. still be something missing. Yeah, so, absolutely. no. She, but people look for something to be unhappy with. They want to, they, and sometimes folks are stuck in their victimhood, which mm -hmm. makes them reactive. Yeah. Um, and not that the, we shouldn't be having these conversations, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater when right. somebody is, has dealt with so much trauma themselves mm -hmm. and really put herself out on a limb doing this. That was way ahead of the curve. Yeah. Yeah. And then my last sort of thing that I wanted to ask you is when you're not Dr. Jen, <laughs> Although almost everybody calls me Dr. Jen. Every yeah, once in a while I'll be in a sexual situation and they'll be like, oh, Dr. Jen. I was like, do not. Do not. And people will do it because they're so amused by it. And I was like, this, no, you're Absolutely just freaking not. me out. You want to have the biggest boner killer for me? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> so, okay, good. Who are you when you're not Dr. Jen? Who am I? Well, I am, Dr. Jen is, is a whole lot of me. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Jen is like 90% <laughs> Jen. Yeah. Uh, because, and that is me, um, you know, being committed to walking the talk and practicing what yes. I preach mm -hmm. and that I am vulnerable and authentic and I cry with my clients and I tell my personal stories. Otherwise, you know, who I am not when I'm Dr. Jen, like I'm very sporty and athletic. Yeah. I love playing beach volleyball every Saturday. I have my black belt in Subak Do, although mm -hmm. I had to stop because I've had a lot of sports injuries and a lot of pain. I, you know, I have my insecurities. I, we live in, Frickin' San Diego, uh -huh. all have body image concerns. Mm -hmm. But I do, I work really hard to be responsible in my communication. Everything that I talked about here and using the triangle, it's all because I live this. Right. And yeah, so, and I mess up and I'm reactive sometimes. I usually own it like 98% of the time, but 2%, I was like, yeah, no, you deserve that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, it doesn't mean I don't get angry or I'm really quite comfortable with anger. But yeah, I mean, a, a Dr. Jen is, that's my Facebook page is, is oh, everybody yes. can see all of it. Right. All of my posts are open to, so even pe friends, they can see that stuff. Um, and if I have to block people, I block people. But I am like, that's me with my family on Christmas and me with cats and me, you know, snowshoeing and me, you know, doing book signings and public readings and posting current news and public commentary. And so that's all my social media um, is me. So, yeah, yeah, I'm it's uh, 
I, I was actually inspired to ask that because this morning I was listening to School of Greatness podcast and it was talking about how they had, I think they had like four women on there, like Brene Brown, uh, the Spanx woman. I can't oh, okay. remember her name. Yeah. Um, and Mel, somebody who I love, I can't remember her last name. But anyway, he they were talking about how, you know, you you cannot be in a position like you're in and not you know walk the talk like but a lot of people do no i know that's why i do this podcast because i'm like you're full of shit like i hate it well and i can tell because i even if i read a book and i was like oh this is okay i like what this person's about and then i go hear them public speak or i hear them Uh in an interview and i was like oh do you know you are so inauthentic biggest letdowns of my life for a public speaker like of my life oh it was maya angelo oh i went to see her my friend bought me tickets to see her at sdsu and I'm like thrilled and over the moon and thinking this is going to be the most incredible yeah. night of my life. And this is going to be transcendent. And I'm going to, you know, it's my, everything's going to change from this, whatever, you know, it's my Angela. Yes. I mean, <laughs> right. uh, she's definitely one of my like heroes. And so we show up and she comes out and she talked, I think she read one poem and I can't even remember what poem it was. Cause I was like, what is happening? Cause she came out and she talked a little bit about herself. She read a poem. She said a few more words and then she left. And, and you it feel was like, like she like phoned it in less kind than of? 20 minutes. Whoa. Wait, that less, was, but that was a whole talk. Wait, that what? was a whole tour, like a talk that people paid tickets for yeah, and drove like 30 and, parked bucks and showed up to go. For- yeah. It was at, um, and was she, and at she, the Cox arena. She wasn't yesterday. like unwell. Like, was she sick? I mean, cause if me, she was, they didn't say that. And I wish they would have said, right. Like, she's not feeling great. She's only going to be out here for 20. Cause I remember like she came out, you know, we were all like, Oh my God, my hand. And then, you know, it was over. And I looked at my friend and I'm like, is that really, is that it? And then that was it. And everybody in the, I mean, everybody around us, we were all right. kind of like, what Whoa. just happened? Who did she feel an imposter? Like, did she just, feel authentic when she was on stage? She did. It was okay. definitely her. Okay. Yeah. But it just, you know, she oh, it's really just disappointing. It yeah. was. It was just yeah. like, wow. Okay. Yeah. It was just a bummer. I mean, I still love her. I still like regard her. Yeah. As oh, one I mean, of the best, beautiful like, contributions. Yeah. yeah. But it was just, I just remember being like, no, that can't. No, that don't can't be. No, don't buzzkill yourself for me. <laughs> don't leave. <laughs> my another hour and a half of you. Because I kind of live in relationships by when they show you who they are. Listen, because that's her thing of like people are going to oh, show you who they are. Yeah, you know, oh, and I think curious. that's so true. Yeah, but anyway, okay. I think I've covered just about everything. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Oh, this is great. Will you tell our listeners how to buy your book? Yes. And before I get there, just one thing, just to share a reflection back with me. One of my biggest joys of having published a book and then doing, and I've only done a handful with folks that I know have like read my book. Uh Thank you. Like, I can't (laughs) tell you the joy. Every time you picked up the book again and opened to a page and then you said this, I literally had chills that went down. Like just this burst of joy in my chest um so thank you <laughs> it's like well yeah it's, it's gotta really, be exciting really to like neat. put all this i know something it's and a then, really neat feel and then have somebody be like oh this really resonated with me and what about yeah. this to talk about like it's a it's a like, feeling that's hard to explain because yeah. i've never had anything quite like it so thank you for that joy Good. for the past hour and a half here i'm glad <laughs> um and folks can find me so my main hub for everything is my website it's drjensden.com okay. and that's dr J-E-N-N-S-D-E-N. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, if you just search Google Dr. Jen's Den in any spelling yeah. <laughs> version of it, it should come up. 
and that's my hub. So I have my TEDx talks on there, um, links to In the Den with Dr. Jen, my podcast, mm-hmm. my book, all the book reviews. Lots um, of great material, My you online guys. course. Oh, I've been like, somebody just brought to my attention recently. I was like, oh yeah, I've been blogging for like 14 years. Yeah. And so between videos and um, social commentary, lots of podcast interviews that I've done also that are linked to on there, news appearances on the morning news. Um, that's my hub for, for everything. And folks that want to bring me in as a public speaker, mm-hmm. um, whether yeah. for workshops or trainings or Valentine's events or to your college. Um, that is definitely my, my sweet spot and awesome. my passion. And um, also you can buy the book on Amazon. Yeah, so Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You have, so she has yeah. five-star reviews across the board on Amazon. <laughs> so go buy the book. I think everyone should read the book, men and women. And, you know, I did, I, there's, not yes. an, there's not not an audience for this book. Yes, and because even if certain chapters maybe don't fit where you are in life right now or just don't match what you're looking for, the mindfulness and communication skills and compassion skills and also how do we stop passing this on to younger generations if you care yeah. about these topics because I have a whole chapter yeah. on our responsibility. That to me is, is a value to everybody right. um, and like really just to really give you um, greater skills in the intimacy that you're looking for. Okay, great. Well, I will link all of that in our show notes as well so that everybody can just click easily. And I want to thank you guys for listening. Next week, we have uh, Nathan Young. He is a local San Diegan who runs kind of a like a storytelling mm-hmm. event monthly, weekly. I was on. Yes. And I did the new narrative. New narrative. And, um, and he's a writer and he, he's just a, an all around great guy. So we'll be on with him next week and then check us out on Instagram, Facebook, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, Google play. That's it for now. We thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Man podcast is a subsidiary of nothing and is produced in association with no one other than Carlinell and Delia Knight.